we've seen the legislative change. So um, if you're a non-exec director now for obviously a, um, you know, a certain size, but you know, FTSE style kind of organization, you are going to be accountable for the decisions that you make. There's legislative penalizations if you're not doing what you should be doing in context of um, environmental social governance. And of course, every small organization is linked to a large organization, so it's why, which is why I think it's uh, an exciting change. Um, I think, you know, historically we've seen you've got large organizations that don't necessarily embrace the, their supply chain, um, but as of ESG, that embracing supply chain and supporting and nurturing supply chains is a critical part of achieving your own carbon footprint. Action Net Zero is about creating action to help us all become Net Zero. My conversation with Pam Babete takes a number of different directions, but the key is we're talking about how Action Net Zero, which is only three years old, has gone out to help create an education, to inform people, to clear the way, to enable people to switch and think about different technologies, different infrastructures. But they're also working around how do we influence the network? How do we get out there and talk to the right people to help organisations, help residents, help community groups, help businesses really understand how they can contribute to the net zero targets that we have all committed to, the things that will make a difference in our lives. So listen to this podcast, listen to it from point of view of the purpose that comes out, but also listen to a bit about what you can do in your organisation as an individual, help your business step up become net zero and influence the networks within your part. Look what you can do. How can you influence these together? Because actually that's the key thing that we all need to do, influence and make a difference. That's what Pam's doing. She set out three years ago on her own. She's learned a lot since then. Enjoy the show. And as I always say, I can't stick by you and force you to do anything. I'd love you to take some words from this. I'd love you to share a message with your, with your friends and family and colleagues. Because actually the point of this podcast is to educate and influence and help people, like a coach, step up and do things differently. Enjoy the show. And if you have any questions, drop me a note. It's phil at ignimconsult.com. Welcome to the Sparks Baganium podcast. I'm Phil Rose, the host, and this is episode 75 or 76. So we've been putting out this show for about three years now. And we're always talking to people about the word purpose. And we love talking to founders of businesses who have gone out to discover something and to deliver a purpose in some way. And this conversation I'm about to have now with Pam Babato is one of those conversations I'm really looking forward to, because we're going to delve into the world of Action Net Zero and what this means, and how does Action Net Zero, the organization Pam's founded, go out to make a difference in the world? Because Pam has a really clear purpose, and I want to delve into that a bit more in the conversation to look at how does Pam and her organization help organizations hit Net Zero in whatever timescale they put. So Pam, welcome to the show. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Thank you, uh, Phil. Really lovely to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Now, one thing you mentioned, we were just talking just now about how to introduce you, and um, and you said you're founder of Action Net Zero, and I, I, I get that, but then you said something which is really interesting. You said you're a commercial environmentalist, and I picked up on that and thought, what does that mean? Because you told me, and I thought there's something in that. So I wonder if we can just start off with what is a commercial environmentalist? Uh, that is, uh, yes, two words I've linked together from my experience. Um, they uh, quite often actually clash. So most people, when I speak to them, 
uh, do, I think, around environmentalism in particular, think about campaigning and activism, which are obviously great um, qualities and expert words that are absolutely right. However, I think linking the word commercial to that environmentalism is not something that necessarily sits that well with a lot of people's thoughts and their perceptions of environmentalism. Um, and I'm a true believer that actually embracing all of the great pillars of sustainability, financial, social, um, and also from a, from a financial and social and environmental perspective, that you actually can benefit. Um, and that can be on an individual basis, so as, as a person or indeed uh, as an organisational, um, from an organisational perspective. So yeah, it's all about being able to, to align the commercial benefit of yeah. adopting sustainability. I love that. So, so and interesting, isn't it? Because you know, when, when we talk about Ignium as an organisation, we talk about um, purpose being about prosperity and profit and purpose. And essentially, if you combine those things together, a lot of people think about um, we just set up business to make money and do good. And, and I always come back and say, actually, no, the purpose of an organisation is above and beyond making money, because that's how you really engage people. So I'm hearing from you, actually, that's what you're all about. You've gone out there to do something different. And that, that thing about the aligning the social and the financial and actually bringing something together in Action Net Zero is what's driving you to create this. Um, yeah. Absolutely, Phil. So, I mean, my background was purposeful driven brands. So, mm -hmm. I'm fortunate enough to work on some fantastic brands and actually saying, how do you put purpose right at the heart of those strategies? So, whether that's working with organizations like WWT, so Wild Wetlands Trust, um, or indeed looking at waste management companies who uh, traditionally might have been seen as, as operationally not very purposeful. But if you actually mm -hmm. think about them in context of waste and the value of waste, now that that has that's a very different meaning so that's 15 years ago but then with the climate crisis upon us you know my uh, for me the critical piece is harnessing the fact that if you put sustainability at the heart of an organization align it with purpose um then of course that can be incredibly powerful which is why I set up Action at Zero with that, you know, with that vision that if you start to talk about sustainability in context of its purpose to a business or to an individual above and beyond just the environmental element, that that might resonate more effectively with more people and therefore address the climate crisis. Yeah, I think that's interesting because, you know, the question I was going to ask you is what is the purpose of Action at Zero? But I think you're saying that there in terms of it's, you know, having that, that combination of sustainability and purpose and, and above and beyond is the key bit there. So what, what was your motive originally? What, what prompted you? What got you out of bed to say, I need to do something about it? Because a lot of people think about this, but do nothing. But you've stepped out and done something. What, what, what brought you to this to your attention? And what brought you to your, your point of saying, I've got to do something? Uh, it's always an interesting journey, isn't it, to understand what what um, actually does uh, make people start their own business. Um, yeah. I was really fortunate to work on the Bristol European Green Capital Programme, which was back in 2015. So for those that don't know, Bristol was awarded um, European Green Capital, which is, an, which is a fantastic accolade. Um, and that was a programme of activity that engaged on a citywide level um, about sustainability. So I had everything from a amazing arts programs that were funded by Arts Council through to uh, working with um, eminent organisations across the region to be able to show people how by embracing sustainable um, actions you can deliver prosperity to communities and that really did inspire me and and that with a link of having worked in the sustainability sector for the previous 10 years which was wow. my 
brand and marketing and sustainability um, led me to really, really feel that there was a missing element on a regional and on a local basis, which was where do you go if you want to be more sustainable, but you're not sure what actions are actually going to credibly deliver on that sustainability um, requirement, i.e. reducing carbon impact and thinking about um, you know, air quality, methane, all of the, the other greenhouse gases that make up the, the collective. Um, you know, how, how can you do that? And, and actually, how do you do it when you don't have much time and perhaps you don't want to invest in things financially? So what things can you do? So it really came from a, you know, there must be a place that I can go, a single place that I can go that can answer my questions. And there really wasn't on a local level. Um, and of course, there's lots of amazing organizations that do lots of that, but not necessarily about being able to action things here and now on my doorstep that are going to really help. And, and, and I can see the visible uh, benefits of engaging um, on those with those actions and on that level. And, and, and the word the word I'm hearing there is that word action that you, yeah. you couldn't see that thing about how to take action in the first place. So so you, when you created action at zero, you know, we often hear that phrase net zero. What does net zero actually mean in the context of where you are at the moment? Yeah, so it's a really interesting one. When I first set up, and um, bear in mind, I've, I have worked and had worked in um, sustainability for quite a long time. So net zero was clearly a, a term that I was very used to. But when I first engaged and worked with the uh, brand agency to set up Action Net Zero, they did say, they tried to persuade me, they said, I don't think you should be calling it Action Net Zero because nobody knows what net zero is. <laughs> And I did say, I know, but that's the point, because it's going to be such an important conversation that we're going to have to have um, that I think we should be using that word. Just again, use the terminology and try and build the uh, understanding around it. So yes. so you've a really good question, though. What does net zero mean? Um, so net zero obviously is directly linked to the legally binding commitment that the UK have made 2050, which is in effect, simplistically, net zero means the balance is being readjusted so that we are not impacting the planet um, adversely. So net zero means we are going to ensure that we are not polluting from a carbon perspective, obviously, um, uh, uh, and there is a balance. So the amount that we pollute with carbon dioxide is balanced by the amount that we don't. So clearly at the moment, um, to hit the uh, 2050, we need to try and reduce the temperature rises of the planet by 1.5 degrees. Mm. Uh, we're currently not on track to do that in any shape or form. Um, that's where there was a Paris agreement that came out, interestingly, of European Green Capital in 2015, um, where uh, there was agreement that we should try and hit less than, obviously, or 1.5 degrees. And so when we think now about that net zero target, it's a journey um, and it's an aspiration. So we have lots of local councils and cities who have signed up to net zero by 2030. So they are saying we have to readdress that carbon balance. We have to make sure that the balance, there's equilibrium um, and that we are not obviously having a bigger carbon footprint um, yeah. than we obviously are, are um so yeah so, so simplistically it's about getting the balance right and, and interesting you, you said there about being a legally binding agreement so yeah. when was that legally binding agreement made was that that one of the uh original uh commitments we made but when was that made do you know from a uk perspective back in uh, do you know i'm gonna have to check phil but 2019 i believe earlier than that maybe for those who are listening, we'll, we will check on the facts on there. But I think the key point is there, there is a legally binding commitment. 
And actually what you're doing, Pam, is actually helping people get there. And I think the key bit you mentioned was, you know, there's local councils and cities who are looking at 2030, trying to bring that forward by 20 years. So they're acting on it, realizing, hey, we've got to do something. And as a city, we've got to do something. So, so there's a couple of things there. You know, see, you're working from an organizational perspective, but you're not just working with companies, you're working with other organizations to do that. So, so one of the things that you know, you, you've often talked about building partnerships. And when we first met um, a year or so back, that was one of the big things you were working on about how do you help those or build those partnerships, help those organizations. So tell me, what's the, what's the typical partnership approach that you're taking? And who is an ideal partner for Action Net Zero? So we work with partners simplistically because the climate crisis requires collaboration and partnerships um, and the way that we work. So we have a very specific approach um, to supporting our audiences. And when we talk about our audiences, we work on a regional level and we support residents, businesses and also community groups. So those are the three audiences Mm -hmm. that we speak to. Um, We bring subject matter experts around core areas of decarbonisation. So if you can to decarbonize the UK by 2050, of course, is in a gigantuan task. And that has been broken down by um, incredibly uh, uh, experienced individuals that have created the IPCC's six carbon report. And that report is um, supplied to the government. And simplistically, it has four key areas, which it talks about decarbonization of transport decarbonization of the built environment um, that includes industry as well and then food systems and then carbon capture and storage so we at action net zero align ourselves to that six carbon report from a strategic framework perspective because policy intervention is a critical piece of being able to action change so if you an example decarbonization of transport the government have already put in place that all um petrol and diesel cars for instance will be banned by 2030 that's yeah. new cars new cars so not, yeah. not secondhand ones so you can see as an intervention that is a piece of policy that the government has put in place so that they can mobilize change obviously across the country so yeah. it's really critical for us at Action Net Zero that we're aligned with those policy interventions because policy change top down and then our principles are community action bottom up okay. starts starts to allow that change to happen and that provides us um we we call it the say do gap it means that we can start to address where there is an imbalance between what people say and want to do from a sustainability perspective but actually what they're finding is when they go to action that on a you know on a community or on a on a local or a regional level yeah. that that's where there are currently perhaps not some of the systems that they need and that there are barriers and what we do is we look to understand what those barriers are and then try and influence change and that is where the partnership is such a critical part of the jigsaw yeah. so we decarbonization of transport for instance and we did this back in 2020 and we brought together a collective of organizations who all sit within that area of expertise so we brought leasing companies who are obviously um, uh, uh, selling electric vehicles through to law firms through to manufacturing companies who specialize in abatement um so extracting nanoparticles out of the air so pollutants um through to really smart startups who are comparison sites for ev charging or or sharing apps for 
electric cars and also looking at active travel as well as public transport as well. So bringing those organisations together and saying, where are the barriers for change on a community level and, and what we collectively do to try and promote the acceleration to so the purpose of action at zero is all about accelerating change. We yeah. know change happen eventually, but our purpose is to make sure that it happens as quickly as possible to try and meet those um, obviously very challenging target targets that we know exist. Yeah. So yes, so that's where the partnership piece really comes into play. Okay. So, then last year, we started to approach uh, decarbonisation of the built environment, which is a huge area. It kind of links in transport, but it also, of course, is fabric of buildings. So that gets okay. into complex areas um, and also then industry as well. So looking at it from a business perspective, if you own a site and you are a manufacturer or you use a lot of electricity, mm. how might the attraction at zero support those types of organisations mm -hmm. to transition, to accelerate um, uh, and, and transition, yeah, quickly. So as an example, we held a round table with Dan yeah. Norris, the local Metro Mayor last October, um, along with 10 other um, experts in the area, everything from the Western distribution, which is uh, the what's called the uh, DNO National Grid. So they're part yeah. of the infrastructure through, again, to law firms, to um, experts in energy, to solar PVs, uh, suppliers, and came together and said, where are the blockers? And there were some really interesting um, areas that surfaced through that discussion where we've yeah. got some, some disconnect. And we know that disconnect appears in so many yeah. areas of, of our lives, but uh, it's a critical part of, of the issue for sustainable yeah. change, the disconnect. And quite often that's systems and processes. And that's again, an interesting, you mentioned the word barrier. So I guess that's part of the problem, isn't it? It's those, that disconnect between places, but actually the, the systemization part of it, and, you know, when you're having that round table there, I think you've mentioned that a few times to me before, and I think that sounds a massive gain for the Southwest effectively, because people are sitting up and noticing. And I know you mentioned before that, you know, the, the Southwest, there's been a lot of investment put in there to look at how do we decarbonize and actually get ahead of the game. And I don't know how other areas in the, in the country are doing, but actually getting ahead of the game and saying, okay, we need to do something. So there's a, there's a really powerful movement there. Yeah. They're involved with Absolutely. And we actually say Action Net Zero, albeit you know, in our way, we are a movement for change. This is yeah. about is to, to actually try and um, curate, to help support the local communities by listening and learning and then creating a combined voice. So, you know, we mentioned before that we are a community interest company and as such, we look at the impact that we can have and we have a framework for our impacts and quite simplistically, there's three key areas that we okay. focus our attention. One is about educating and informing and guiding, which okay. I think there's a lot of myths out there we see day in day out misinformation um, lack of understanding of things like the financial models that are available the technologies that are available or even just knowing who the really good trusted suppliers might be okay um, yeah so all of that so we bulk that under a kind of an informing guiding and education um, area then the second one is actually enabling people to switch so I think it's the classic one isn't it marketing is one thing isn't it communicating to people to engender them to buy or to 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 act on something yeah. um, for us it's critical that if we're asking people to make sustainable change that we lead by example and at mm. least often 
the choices to do so. So this is about then showing them what those choices are, including actually enabling them to engage with specific organisations. Um, and we have partners who are sustainable solution providers. So whether that, as I mentioned before, whether that's an EV charging um, yeah. provider or a solar power oh. provider or even a rewilding specialist or you know, okay. all, all manner of things. But saying, look, there's a host of really, really clever people out there who can help and they're trusted. And so we build relationships with those delivery partners yeah. as well. I love it. And interesting, that's the relationship. You, you said that, you know, that education, inform and guide sounds to be the first piece, but that thing about enabling people to switch, that's the bit, because we can all be informed, but actually, again, it comes back to that action piece. Yeah, exactly. Got to enable people in the first place. And that's where, as we call it, so it's our second impact area, is switches in behaviour. And that's for us, is about us demonstrating that people aren't just looking into it, that they're actually then following through and they're acting. So by supporting them, guiding them, and then being able to show them those different delivery partners, mm. um, of which there's many, then they can make informed decisions, but act as well. So that's why we have that second piece. And then the third impact area that we focus on is um, influence and uh, is, is influence and network. Okay. So this is where we have surfaced through all of those conversations that we have um, in any one area. We've surfaced issues, and those issues quite often are to do with the political systems that we sit in. Yeah. Um, that's about you know, the planning reform that might be required to enable net zero targets to be met. Yeah. And we know that those are all in hand, but actually, but our purpose is to accelerate those changes. Yeah. So the more we can collect the voices of the many around very specific changes that are required, you know, really quickly. And we had some great examples um, through our round table, one that that actually I think is it's, a, it's one we're really focused on for the next year or so is um, the planning that's required. So if you are developing new build property, as an example, currently, mm -hmm under the regulations, there are new, what's called part L regulations, which yeah. require renewable energy to be put onto new builds. So solar power panels, you know, batteries, et cetera. And that's great, but there are many developments at the moment um, where those planning developments didn't necessarily um, actually coincide with the regulatory framework. So the timescales are different. So the planning consented. Yeah legitimate of course it is but the planning was consented maybe two or three years ago and part l only came in last year so yeah, out of sync lots of houses going up with no solar panels on them at all and with the cost of living crisis as it is and a lot of these houses are you know are, are, are actually aimed at people that would want to invest in solar panels so yeah. Um, solar, yes, social housing, interestingly, you know, is, is, is actually pioneering in many instances. It's a critical piece of the factor because they link the cost of living with the build yeah. structure, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, there's a whole private build area where it's not being addressed to the extent wow. that Action Net Zero actually was approached by a collective of residents hmm. um, on one particular development saying, can you help us? Because we want to be able to get, we want to be able to put solar panels on our yeah. um, property. We bought them four or five years ago where it wasn't a requirement, but unfortunately, even then, at the time, it was written into their deeds that they weren't able to put them no. on. Mm. That's so unbelievable. Yeah, so it's things like that where actually the system, unfortunately, wasn't. Yeah. 
in a position because of 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 almost the catch-up isn't it you know the regulation has to be instigated and, and we understand there's going to be those delays but the knock-on of courses you know in our area alone one city there's potentially and i know because we're doing some work on it at the moment 20 new build projects that do not have solar panels on them so and i find that unbelievable i'm, I'm just thinking I'm, I'm stood in a house now that we bought in 2010 the first thing we did was put solar panels on the roof that's what we did you know it was imperative to do it and i've i'm just doing some work now with the with the house and uh we put solar panels and batteries in there and uh Lee Chadwick, if you're listening to this, you know you did a good job there because actually, Lee, what you've done has helped you know solve solve a problem for me. But actually, that's the type of people we should be talking to. So, um, you know, I always give a plug for Lee there because actually, what Clarkson Evans are doing and Lee's driving that in terms of you know making sustainable standard in terms of getting that thing in there and actually, you know, solar power is the thing that actually with battery technology we know we can help address not just the climate crisis but actually the cost of living crisis as well. Exactly. We linking those things whether we talk about air pollution and electric yeah. vehicles or whether we talk about exactly that solar panels and cost of living crisis and batteries and you know that's an example with those solar with the solar pv um, obviously in terms of new build but even the regulations at the moment that have been put in that still mm. doesn't require that a whole roof has solar panels on it so we're not optimizing it so you know the cost of putting solar panels on in the in the main as you know um, mm -hmm. is actually about the scap is actually within the build process so yeah. whilst you're up there whether you put 10 on or whether you put 20 on or I'm exaggerating whether you put three on or you put 16 on it there's very little increase in cost yeah. um per unit and so that again is where optimization is a, such an important part yeah, yeah. Um, of the conversation and I think this is really interesting. So, so you've gone through three things that education, inform and guide, because that's the key start. It's then about enabling people to switch. But then you talk about the influence of the network, because it's that influence when you're getting into the political systems, the planning systems, that's imperative. Because if individuals out there in a the community can't find a way of doing it and the political system or the planning system against it, actually, it makes it harder because developers, you know, there's some developers out there that we know. Will, you know, they'll do what they can to make sure their properties are the greenest they can be. There's others that just want to make a profit. And, 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 and we've always said that, you know, yes, you've got to make profit to be able to drive change, but actually you can't try and make a profit at the expense of what's going on in the environment. You can't turn a blind eye to this. So developers have to sit up and listen and do something different. And it takes them to say, OK, do you know, we need to change this because that's the right thing to do. And, and again, going back to that profitability piece, I completely understand that traditionally there may not be um, or there, there hasn't been in the past because of the cost of the equipment. But we know solar PV cost is coming down. Yeah. If you're on a roof putting tiles up, you could equally argue that there must be some, uh, you know, some, some cost savings by putting trays in and solar panels. You know, again, this is about is looking at it in a more creative way yeah. and understanding that those uh yeah the costing and, and the approach needs to be looked at through uh an esg as we call it environmental yeah. social governance lens not just through a profitability lens yeah. and actually if you start to do that and the decision making process is done through that lens then the outcomes are very different and they're ones that do deliver prosperity because we know there will be people so the, those those customers who are buying those houses if we're talking about the private market who will pay more of course they will because they know that they're going to get the the, the value of their property alone will go up and at the moment it's trending four percent if you have um uh, wow. renewable 
provision on a property plus also they're going to get the um yeah, the reduction in energy costs so it's sensible i appreciate not everyone has the money to do so but in those instances these are you know houses that people are investing in and there's so many amazing solutions as well so you know you can talk about there's new mortgage offers coming out where if you mm. buy a house that has renewable energy provision in it you get a much better deal so you know we're wow. talking working with some mortgage companies and you know because it makes total sense why wouldn't you promote and reward individuals to borrow money to green their houses to reduce the carbon yeah. um it works for everyone yeah i agree with that and, and it's interesting isn't it? because you know we've, we've, we've talked a lot here about you know the, the in some ways the struggles within the system but I think what I'm hearing there is as well, you've had some great successes over the time. And I, you know, we've only talked over the last year, but there have been some big, big successes that have come out of the work you're doing. It's this, um, this constant education you're putting out there, but also providing, as you said, in the name, action, net zero. And, and we always hear about education, inform and guide, but the key bit I'm hearing there is you're about action. You're about putting the plan and clearing away the, 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 the problems in the way to find a way forward. I wonder just, just, what, what successes can you talk about that you'd say this is where it's really working actually net zero is doing what it was set out to do it's uh so of course we're three years old so we're still you know young and we are very much in that stage of being able to test and learn but the learnings and where there's been great success is the partnership model where there is a natural gain for any individual organization coming together with a collective because that collective voice is incredibly powerful so if we and we've we've seen this with our transport um, initiative that we um, developed back in 2020 and we're seeing it with the built environment one now if you're able to tackle some of these sticky points um, and actually come together around them to break those barriers down. That's hugely valuable because, as an example, we you know we have big corporates who are our partners, and mm. they've signed up to science-based targets initiatives, for instance, which is a science-based model where they have to prove that they are reducing their targets in line, obviously, with their commitments. And some of those targets, will they will be penalised in terms of having to pay for carbon offsetting or carbon credits if they're not able to deliver. And the cost of carbon is only going one way, and that's up. And if you actually look at that as a liability, as a yeah. liability, and as a cost as well um, that shows you where the, the obviously the advantages of, of addressing these barriers are and doing that collectively because it's a win-win so they can then say well we will be able to hit more of our targets by addressing these issues and also the one the other area is just the wonderful bit that I, I have to say I get a lot of joy out of is seeing the connected bit on a community level so actually saying you know, we've got some there's some great ones where you, know, you might have a local farmer for instance who's really keen on putting some solar uh, arrays in their um on their land um, and they're quite close to um yeah. industrial states and actually because of the partnerships that we uh, have developed over the last couple of years with larger entities and with bigger delivery partners that we're starting to see now where we're able to connect those and that's actually from us just being out in the community that's understanding yeah community energy might look like wow. um, those on the ground opportunities to say you know there's a mutual gain here and being able to fast track that just because we are out you know talking as much as we can 
um, at events, obviously, with um, local authorities. I've, you know, I've got a business breakfast next week in Corsham. There'll be businesses that are on a very specific industrial estate, but we right. have those larger corporates that we can then say, actually, let's get together and let's look at how we can help address some of these these issues. So, yeah. so yeah. those are the uh, exciting areas. We can see we're breaking down barriers. So I yeah, think. I think the in as much as the educate and inform which is lovely people you know all that i didn't know that or the engagement levels are, are, are fantastic stats and i'm again really it's really good to see them steadily going up and up and up more people more in, interested in what they can and can't do but it's barrier, barriers bit i think that's the bit that i would absolutely say um yeah where i feel that we're making the most impact yeah and, it, and it's great in terms of what you said you know that community energy that mutual game where you're seeing real benefit coming through and i think there's a real value there i just want to come back just we've got about five minutes left of the talk and you made about esg and i think this is one of the big imperatives you know, a lot of people saw ESG when it first started as uh, as a financial metric, so organisations could measure how well organisations met their financial targets. Um, so investors could look at those businesses and say, like, this one's got the, the environmental sustainability, the government said it, we'll put money into that. But but ESG is becoming more mainstream now. And, you know, many years ago, we used to talk about triple bottom line and how businesses, you need to be addressing some of the climate changes. Um, some companies still are, pay, you know, paying lip service to it. Um, and, you know, I'm still here going to green scheme and it's green screen. I often think, you know, we often hear the word greenwashing, um, where people just put some nice words in the annual report, but did nothing about it. I wonder from your perspective, what does that ESG mean? You talked about delivering prosperity earlier. I wonder, how do you see this in terms of the work you're doing and convincing and communicating and people taking action and having ESG as core to their business? Um, it goes back to the original question or discussion that we had actually, Phil, which was around um, the focus ESG about embedding it in organisations so that it is seen as a business driver, not as compliance. And if you going back to board level decision making, um, this is where for us we would always advocate if you can start to integrate ESG into your strategies, whether that's a growth strategy, an HR strategy, um, an operational strategy, a funding strategy, you can then see how it can really drive change. So, you know, as an example, if you've got a, um, a if you have a high growth target actually what are the imperatives of that growth target where and it might be yeah funding we need to source x amount of funding so what's the criteria for that funding so you know you'll have a cfo will who who will obviously be wanting to address that criteria and if you look at esg and you say right if we start to behave as an organization that is um, looking at our materiality where we can have the most impact from an e and s and a g perspective reduce um, yeah. our footprint support our local communities you know add to social value act you know, that's that's now obviously if you're procuring into the public sector that is a de facto requirement okay how can we give back and governance in terms of ensuring you know obviously diversity and inclusion thinking around the way that we behave when we are importing and exporting um obviously our uh, living wage etc cetera, etc cetera. those ways of ensuring that the people that we both employ we interact with and our and our customers and our suppliers are all treated um, in a way that absolutely supports prosperity for communities, for the environment and mm. for societies, you are going to drive your organisation forward because everyone's going to want to work for you. So it's, it's about those higher metrics, isn't it? And yeah. 
That's and, interesting. The, and the regulation. So for us, this isn't, and I, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to work with organisations like EDF Energy back in 2008, 2010, um, and and environmental was much more a regulatory and a compliance requirement then and yeah. um, it's not anymore it's about being future fit as an yeah. organization you know we've seen we've seen the legislative change so um if you're a non-exec director now for obviously a um you know, a certain size but you know FTSE style kind of organization you are going to be accountable for the decisions that you make and there is um uh, again abroad mainly but again you know that there's legislative um penalizations if you're not doing what you should be doing in context of um environmental social governance mm -hmm. so this mm -hmm. and, and of course wow. every, every small organization is linked to a large organization so it's why which is why i think it's uh, an exciting change um i think you know historically we've seen you've got large organizations that don't necessarily embrace though their supply chain um, yep. but as of esg that embracing supply chain and supporting and nurturing supply chains yeah. is a critical part of achieving your own footprint carbon yeah. footprint so that's changing, I think, changing the way that those supply chains, the big organizations and small organizations are working together. And I think that that to me is, is an exciting area, yeah. albeit incredibly challenging area, but it's a really exciting area because that starts to, to unite and, and reconnect, I think, those organizations yeah. where historically there's there's just been a lot more disconnect. And I think it's interesting, that word connection. And, you know, you talked earlier about this in terms of, you know, that that comes back to you know community interest is one of the key things where you can connect the, the thing that the community groups want and the business wants and the residents want so it's putting that together and and what part of what you do actually is there is is remove those barriers and remove those disconnects or, or first of all discover the disconnects and then help to remove them to, to pave the way and i think there's a there's a, there's a lot of merit in there that people just don't know where to go for some of the answers with what you're doing is cutting through some of the um uh, the blockages help people actually really understand what can be done. And that key bit that you mentioned about you know, nurturing relationships to, to connect the small organizations and the large organizations, because at the end of it, it's all a connected system. We've just got to understand how to manage those connections. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, 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 you know, I've, I've really enjoyed this conversation. And uh, we, we, we said there's, there's lots of things we could talk about, and we're trying to condense it down into a short space. I wonder if you were to, to go back, and obviously you've, you've been in business three years in actions at zero, but with your experience, I wonder. With what you now know, what would you do differently? If you could have come at this differently three years ago, is there anything you could have done differently in your, your quest for Action Net Zero to, to be a force for change? Because it won't have gone smoothly. Most businesses don't. No. <laughs> what learning yeah. have you got? Yeah, the, lear the learnings are, I think, around the um, funding model. So, yeah. um, and also around, uh, actually, it's a governance piece. So I... Um, set up Action at Zero by myself um, with a blank piece of paper, but with a with a, a set of core principles that that I'd kind of developed over the years of working, um, obviously in various organisations that I truly felt had uh, you know, had worked. The, the ridiculous thing is one of those was and, and clearly is being shown out now is around partnerships and connection. Mm. The irony is I started off by myself. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, <laughs> so partnerships and connections. <laughs> I made partnerships and made connections very quickly, but I think, yeah, in hindsight, to have to have tried to build an organisation that had um, a number of individuals that uh, could obviously set the organisation up um, yeah. 
with yeah lots of different skill sets coming together at once probably would have been yeah would have been the way that I would have done it mm. but then again what you're doing is actually that but it's just taken time to get there so there's a great learning yeah. in there but <laughs> and I always think it does it, it always takes a, an evangelist to start things off and you know most entrepreneurs um, have to ha have to be the one who's willing to disrupt and do something and and part of what you do is galvanizing the team and enabling them to step up but they probably didn't know that you were out there in the first place so you've got that that role of leading the charge so to speak um to go and say this is where we need to go and it does take um it takes a bit of trial and error to do that even if as you say partnership and connection is what you're all about but actually <laughs> you're getting there in three years you know at the end of the day not not many commercial organizations survive that first three years anyway so it's a journey and, it sounds like getting there. and i remind myself it was um at the beginning of the pandemic as well so with the best for the first year actually the connections and the getting out there was only ever online it was super super hard so and we all know so, how hard that is thank you i mean it's been an amazing conversation and there's lots more we could delve into um if people wanted to find out of action at zero where would they go how would they how would they find you how they find action at zero so uh, just go to actionnetzero.org and we have a section that is called Going Net Zero at Home or Going Net Zero at Work. And uh, you can dive into those areas. If, it, if you're a business and you want to have a chat, then I do one-to-one -one consultations. Um, so that's about uh, free conversations where I just chat and we do a little survey before that people fill out so that I can give them as much guidance, give them some pointers, and then obviously talk about how we can uh, can support them if that's um, appropriate. And then on an individual basis, absolutely, we do a very similar where you can sign up to newsletters or you can actually speak to some of our team if you've got any queries, but we've got lots and lots of guides on the website which are broken down into how you can make incremental changes at home. So there's a wealth of information on there already for people just to seek out and look as well as and num lots and lots of kind of uh, delivery partners and and companies that you can contact if you actually want to to go ahead and, and make some changes yeah and I think that's interesting it comes back to that same point earlier wasn't it that you said it's about that um helping people switch enabling the switch but actually providing that system so people don't know where to go it's a minefield out there of information we don't know what's right we don't know what's wrong but actually what you're doing is laying the foundation and saying this is the route this is the way through and actually connecting the people together yeah. Do so I think that's a, a wonderful thing. And um, yeah, Pam, I, I, I love this like, conversation because it really connects to me at, at purpose and at heart of what we're trying to do with an ignibus to help organisations find their purpose. And I always use that word purpose above and beyond making money, because if you can build that, you're going to make a sustainable change. And in the long run, you're probably going to make more money out of it as well. But you've got to start yeah. with the sustainability side of it to start with. Um, yeah. So, so finally, okay, what's next for Action Net Zero? Where, where, where next for you? You've learned over the last three years. What's next? So we have learned um, and we now need to reach out to more lovely partners who help fund us. We need to engage more local councils and um, town councils to be able to support them. So for us, it really is about taking all the learnings that we've got from the models yeah. that we've got over the last three years and being able to start to, to, to amplify those and, and, and to reach out. So we, uh, yeah, as we said, we listen, we learn, but we reach out and mobilize more organizations. So that's yeah. about growing the business. I love that last bit, reach out and mobilize at the end of the day. That's the growth. That's the thing that's going to make the sustainable change happen. So um, so Pam Babete, thank you very much. It's been a wonderful conversation. Um, I look forward to another conversation in, in the next few years to find out how this is going. But also, you know, for anyone who's listening to the podcast as well, step up and, and have a conversation with, with Pam. Look at accidentzero.org. Go and find out about the, 
you know, going zero at home and, and, and in work as well, because there's lots of things we can all do. So um, I appreciate it. And um, we need more people like you to step up and do it and take that challenge in the first place. So thank you. Thank you. It's been really lovely to chat. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, Pam. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast as much as I've enjoyed you recording it. This is just one of the great conversations I've had the privilege of being part of since I started recording the Sparks Baconian podcast. So please go back and listen to some of the others. There's some great content in there for some great contributors. And also, while you're at it, please leave a review of this show with your comments because that helps other people like you find this content. And we want to bring about the change that we really know matters to people. It helps us grow. And also, think about what actions you want to take there's no point just listening passively we want you to pick it up and do something with it so what are the three key things you want to do i can't hold you accountable but if you want to drop me a note phil at igniumconsult.com we're always keen to listen to what you have to say and actually introduce guests to us that you think will bring relevance to other people we wish you well give us a call let us know what you think give us a review thank you